When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. Oh, I think that's just real, you know. So you, uh, they're way ahead. They've been doing, you know, running this scheme for a long time and doing it really, really good. But what I like, I told Kevin and I told our players, it gives us a chance to be really good. Because when you go against good people every day, I mean, our defense is excellent. It gives you a chance to be as good as you can possibly be. So everything that happens out here every day for us is real, and we're making good progress. But we have to be on our toes each and every day to, you know, to be able to find ways to move the football. So that'll give us a chance to be as good as we can be. All right, welcome into Purple Daily. That was Gary Kubiak there. The, Gary, Gary, the Gary. Seas, the seas of footballs parted, and the winds whispered, Gary. And Courtney cheered, Gary, Gary. I just first off, and the walked. only reason I think it's funny is because it's kind of this mythical creature. I know. Because he's so funny. We don't actually know what he does all that much. No. Like, we know he's an offense. Like, nobody has actually us. given us nope. a, a real definition and description of what his job is. So nope. he's he's very much like this unicorn. Yeah. And, and it's just, you know, the haircut, as we were mentioning, is probably the same haircut he had when he was a backup quarterback for the Broncos for John Elway. Um, Gary Kubiak, the the man, the myth, mostly the myth, but the legend. I mean, it was nice to hear from him today. We got to talk some football. But what I love is that we keep trying to figure out what he does exactly. I mean, what the exact role is, like how much power he has, how much say he has, who makes final decisions, all these things. So we keep subtly trying to ask, like, so how's uh, the relationship with Kevin Stefanski? What do you think? And then, you know, he'll say, oh, yeah, everyone's great. I love everyone. Everyone is my favorite thing. And like, okay, all right, you love everyone. We get that, Gary. But let's say Stefanski is terrible. Then what would you do? Well, I, uh, I love Stefanski, and he's not terrible. So it's just like this game that we're constantly playing of trying to work around <laughs> asking Gary, what is it exactly that you do here, Gary? Um, but he was fun to talk to. During during uh, the final day of, of minicamp. But even even my question, like Gary is one of the elite question dodgers. He's such a question dodger OG that Zimmer mentioned talking to him about some head coach stuff. And I was like, oh, okay, head coach stuff. All right, I'm going to ask him. So I get all jacked up to ask him. I'm nervous because it's Gary Kubiak and he's a, <laughs> he's a myth. And I didn't even know he existed until now. I thought and he was still in Houston. I thought he was a creature that everyone talked about but had lived in B.C. But no, he actually just um, was an offensive coordinator and head coach. Anyway, so 
you know, I asked him about like, okay, so how did you, uh, what would you guys talk about with head coaching stuff with Zimmer? And his answer was, oh, I love Zimmer. He's great. We battled. We, we talk a lot of football. I'm like, come on. Give me something here, Gary. I mean, but Gary Kubiak, I think for Mike Zimmer, is the perfect fit for what he wants to do as far as a power structure thing. Yep. I handle the defense. Kevin Stavansky is the offensive coordinator of, the t- of this team. He will call the plays, but he well, we need to make sure we have a support system in place, maybe better than you had with John Filippo when he was only in his second year as a play caller. So they realize, hey, young play callers sometimes struggle. Let's get somebody in here. Hey, Gary, your head coach hyphen offense essentially um that's a that's the way that i theorize it i mean in certainly his title is assistant head coach slash offensive advisor um assistant to the regional manager sure is that an office joke yes it is. oh man i wish i would have gotten that one um anyways but it's we're never really gonna get and i'm not him. even gonna give you a hard time like you did to me the other day with mean girls because the Mean Girls one was so easy. I know, but it's one movie. Fetch, so like, it, fetch is one word. Nobody associates that word with any other piece of pop culture, movie, music, anything other than Mean Girls. It just took me a second, okay? I mean, The Office, well, everyone's watched on Netflix. Yeah, like but there's like 69,000 episodes. I know that there are 69,000 episodes, but everyone has watched them. No, and I And they haven't. say the assistant to the regional manager thing like in every episode for the first two seasons. Well, it's fine. I don't know if Gary thinks that he's the assistant to the regional manager, but I do <laughs> think that while he won't come out and say it publicly, he has a lot of influence on this offense. His philosophy... You don't bring somebody like that in. And I spoke with several people around the league and people in Denver specifically who had covered Gary Kubiak uh, when he was hired in January. And I said, okay, what is this? Is this going to be a situation where he's going to come in and call the plays and Kevin Stefanski's just going to be the offensive coordinator, kind of like a Mike Zimmer, George Edwards type relationship? Um, and this is before, you know, we flat out, I think I flat out asked him, what are you going to be doing on game days? And he said he will be in the box and Kevin will be on the field calling the plays. Um, but I remember specifically speaking with a a reporter colleague who had said, if you bring Gary Kubiak into Minnesota, you are, you'd be silly not to let him go all in and help you fix the problems that you've had on offense. Like it's not somebody that you just bring in to have around. You were bringing Gary Kubiak in for his offensive philosophy, the Shanahan offense, the, the, the offense that Kyle Shanahan runs right now is Gary Kubiak's offense, which Gary Kubiak's offense is essentially Mike Shanahan's offense. So, I mean, it's all of these things that Kirk Cousins is familiar with. You're just trying to make it better for him. And you don't bring a guy like that in, though, without saying, hey, you kind of have the override rule at the end of the day. And certainly no one's come out and said this you know, publicly from the staff. But you, if, if that's the case, then you can kind of infer, at least for what we know right now, which is very little, that he does help guide the philosophy. And I asked Kevin, I asked um, Gary and Mike Zimmer about that today, just with you know, Kevin Stefanski and how are you helping him shape his offensive philosophy? Because Kevin even said last year when he took over for John D. Filippo in week 15, like, who are your influences? You know, he's, you've been in one spot. It's not like you've bounced around. Like, you're not like a Matt Nagy type who's gone from Kansas City to the Bears and, you know, been with multiple different people that you can pick up from. He's been with, he's very loyal to to kind of the guys he's with. He's, he's a Brad Childress guy. He's a Pat Shermer guy. Um, those are really kind of the only big names that you can really take away is, who might have shaped his offensive philosophy. Um, So I think with a guy like Kevin Stefanski and having Gary Kubiak here, Gary's going to help you and guide you as a young coordinator, like Mike Shanahan did with him a long time ago, 
help you find out what is my philosophy. I'm running a West Coast system, but what does that exactly mean? What is it? So there's a lot there I think we still have yet to unpack, but it was good to hear from him today, kind of just address it a little bit. And the thing that I took away was most interesting is just how he watches him teach. So he's probably making him a better teacher anyways in the meeting room. Yeah, I think that we have a pretty good sense for this. There's just the questions that are up in the air. So we know that they're having their meetings together and that Kubiak is here every single day. This isn't a guy who's flying in once a week and talking with Kevin Stefanski. It's He's the guy who's standing back in the end zone watching everything develop from the offensive side. He talked about meeting with Kirk Cousins and having conversations with him about different things on the offense. So it really seems like a co-OCs right? type it, of relationship. It absolutely has yeah. that feel. It does not seem like assistant to Kevin Stefanski. It seems like you're both in charge of this offense and Mike Zimmer is to be kept on the complete other side of the building. Don't even look at the offense, Mike Zimmer. Do not talk to offensive players. Do not come near them. <laughs> Do not. It's of coordinators. And I know that one of them mentioned in a previous press conference that suggestions will be made in the headset by Gary Kubiak yes. To Kevin Stefanski. Kevin said that. Yeah, he did. So Kevin's down on the sideline. He's saying, well, it's going to be a collaborative effort, even the play calling. So it's not one guy's the OC and one guy is assisting the OC. This is co-offensive coordinators, and I think that that's fine and that's a good idea. Yeah, especially for a young coordinator. I think that there's nothing wrong with a collaborative effort. It would just be nice for someone to come out and say, this is exactly what's going to happen. Like, I think that that is good that that part was you know revealed that it's a that they're going to be kind of by committee here um i think egos sometimes get in the way as you get more experience as this is my offense this is the way we're doing things um i do i, I kind of wonder on the defensive side like does mike zimmer ever take suggestions from george edwards or anybody else up in the box that's maybe has a better view on something that they can see and he can't because he's on the field um, I feel like that happens more often than maybe we're making it out to be. Oh, that yeah, sure. This is not yeah. something where it's just my way or the highway. I mean, you have a lot of coaches. You have a lot of you have quality control assistants. You have scouts. You have everything. I mean, not that your scouts are in your headset, but you have people who are watching from the you know from the three hundred level, and you have people on the field. One person has to make the call at the end of the day, but I'm sure you have multiple voices on that headset. Yeah, you'll be hearing about that from time to time throughout a season where there's some big play and then the offensive coordinator gets interviewed and he says, well, you know, the running back coach had brought this up or somebody jumped in my ear and said that we should try this. So we went with it. Uh, I I don't think this is going to be super unique. My question is just about final say. Yeah. I mean, the guy with the offensive coordinator next to his name should have final say the way that you would normally think of it. But when Mike Zimmer talks about Gary Kubiak he lights up the same way he used to with Teddy Bridgewater or anything with defense. And it's just a different sort of like, oh, I love Gary and love everything he brings. And he knows so much and all this stuff. And I don't doubt any of that. He's had an amazing career as an offensive mind. But does that mean that Gary Kubiak has the final say on things? If there's a debate over which receiver should make the fifth or sixth spot, Mm -hmm. if there's a debate on what they should use on third down going into uh, a week against the Bears or something, I mean, does that mean that Kevin Stefanski has the final say or Gary Kubiak? And that's where you could see the same sort of thing in terms of worst-case scenario as a Pat Shermer and Norv Turner. I, I know that one guy wasn't young in comparison, but where... It was the too many cooks issue. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's necessarily going to be the same, but 
that it has a little bit of that, okay, who's really in charge here? I phrased it that exact way to Mike Zimmer in February at the Combine when we had our side beat writer session. I said, do you worry that it's going to be too many cooks in the kitchen when you have all of these voices on offense? And you go back to a point Gary Kubiak made today, just in terms of you know the adjustment he's made from being a head coach and then being an offensive coordinator. And now, really, if your title is what it is, you're technically in, a, in an advisor role. You're not... A, you're not like the in the thick of the weeds, even though it does feel like he is just his involvement. He's always there. Um, but he said that Rick Dennison had called plays for him from time to time when the two of them were in Denver. Sure. Um, that happens. And I wouldn't be surprised if that happens here. But when it comes to Kevin Stefanski and the power, you know, what that power is, you know, the, the power structure. Um, OC, if you have that title next to your name, you should be the one calling plays. But when things go wrong. Who, who ends up getting the blame? That's that's also where, you know, it's a conversation from last week. Like, where where does that go? Um, you know, if, if it's, you know, personnel decisions, roster decisions, uh, philosophy, things like that, you want to be on the same page. You hope they're on the same page. But I think that that could get tricky with that many voices. Like, too many cooks. And Mike Zimmer kind of shot that idea down. He's like, no, I don't think so. I'm like... You do have a lot of voices in that room, and they have said, like, this is the Minnesota offense. But I remember John Filippo and Kirk Cousins saying, this is the Vikings offense last year when they were talking about blending what worked for me in Philadelphia with my Super Bowl winning quarterbacks, what worked for you in Washington the one year that you were really good. Let's blend those concepts. And then they said that that's the Vikings offense. Well, what I gather here, the Vikings offense or the Minnesota offense, what Gary Kubiak was referring to today, is that conglomerate feel that they've been doing kind of on the install since uh, the beginning of, you know, the time that everybody was hired and brought in. But it just feels like, yes, Kevin Stefanski's probably leading those meeting rooms. It still feels like there's Gary Kubiak and having a very big role. Not, and I don't want to say looking over his shoulder. I just can't really think of the right term there. But just kind of, you know, he says he's with him 24-7. He's with him every day. Every minute is what he said um, when they're in the facility. It's kind of hard not to group the two together. And not only that, but add Rick Dennison to the mix as the offensive line coach, and that's Gary Kubiak's guy that's been yeah, with the, him for a long and, time. You know, Brian Periani, too, and his son, Clint. I mean, that was a package deal. If, if mean, you've the, ever heard of a package Ke- deal, that's yeah. one. Kevin Stefanski is the guy who's sort of like third wheel here in a way, but he's the one that's also in charge. It, I don't know. It, it has a, a feel of this could really work because Kubiak is brilliant. Or it could have that same sort of thing where there's a lot of headbutting and people sort of jockeying for position on who's going to be blamed or who's going to be given credit when things go right or wrong. And last year, it felt like there was dueling press conferences between Kirk Cousins and the office of coordinator yeah. for who was taking the blame and who was taking the credit for things. And, you know, it, the best example that you love is the fumble against Los Angeles, where Cousins is saying one thing and the office of coordinator saying a different thing. It's like, okay, guys, yeah. what is going on here with you two? The only other time that I can remember we've seen this happen uh, was in Kansas City with Brad Childress, who's the passing game coordinator, and yeah. then uh, Doug Peterson was the OC at yep. the time. And it was um, it was either then or it was I think no Matt, excuse me Matt Nagy and and Brad Childress. Yeah, take Doug Peterson out of it. He's already in Philly, but That's it was right. when yeah. uh, Nagy was the OC there, and they brought Childress in as a passing game coordinator, and so they were all under Andy Reid, and then you know. Childress is now, I don't know what his job is in Chicago, but he's with Nagy in Chicago. And it's like, 
sometimes you just want to have the people who kind of align with your philosophy and have your back and are going to agree with you, but also see things, you know, differently and be able to point it out to you. That's that's a smart thing. But that's the only other time that we have any sort of example of like a co-offensive coordinator type thing working. This is one of those situations where I would get an email or something that's like, well, are you guys hating on Kubiak already calling him a unicorn a myth? Somebody and said that? No, but they should. Um, but it, anytime that we talk about the way that things could go, potentially wrong way, yeah, um, it's sometimes perceived as us saying like, oh, it's going to go completely wrong. And I don't know that it will because in general philosophy and sort of using logic that Mike Zimmer's using, keep me away from the offense because I'm the defensive guy. We could be co-head coaches. We're both OGs. We've been through the trenches for a long time. Kubiak and Zimmer and uh, Kevin Stefanski is new. We're all in on trying to win. So let's have uh, the guy who is responsible for this offense in part and Mike Shanahan and Bill Walsh and all that, you know, let's have this guy actually here. Let's have a legend actually here in or in uh, you know theory, it makes a lot of sense. But you and I, having covered this team and other teams, have seen these things. If they don't work right away, take some turns. And I, and I guess what I like from the perspective of the team being interesting is the potential for turns one way or the other. I mean, I, I guess flip a coin for this. You could tell me. That six months from now, we were talking about, wow, Gary Kubiak, he was the difference maker. They brought him in and everything changed. Or you could tell me, yeah, that whole power structure got super weird when they lost a couple games. And then it was uh, a little bit difficult for everybody. That's what I would fear. If the losses start piling up, especially early in the season or during that critical stretch where it's like Dallas, Kansas City, when they have all and they have like five primetime games in the second half of the season um, or whatever it is. That's where I could see things getting testy again because you that's when when there was that stretch from Chicago to the Seahawks game, that's where the season came apart for the Vikings, and that's why John DeFilippo lost his job. So that's when you started seeing Nate be people being thrown under the bus in press conferences and you know, quarterback and offensive coordinator not on the same page and, and things like that, where you can connect all the dots and be like, This is where it started going wrong. But um, Kevin Stefanski, I mean, for better, for worse, and, and you never really, I guess, unless you really had him, like, true, honest opinion. He has been, he has publicly said he's been for this move the entire time. You can see the benefit in that, like, that's self-awareness, like, I've never seen. Like, hey, I have not done this very much. I could have won, you know, those last three games of the season, very small sample size. They were going to beat Detroit. They were going to beat Miami with or without Kevin Stefanski calling plays. Chicago was a mess because the offense was a mess. But they don't have a lot to go off of. So the fact of the matter is, like, hey, I realize I'm new at this, even though I've been around here 14 years. Um, I want to have somebody in my corner to kind of insulate me from this. Let's go get Gary Kubiak. That's a story, at least, that Kevin painted for us when we talked to him in the offseason just about how this whole thing came together. Now, whether you really believe that or not, I think it's just, you know, that's that's your prerogative. Um, I do think that Mike Zimmer had very much of a say in this happening. Um, I think Rick Spielman, you know, was all for it uh, just from the sense like, hey, we cannot screw up again the way we did last year. Let's go completely. Maybe what's the word? Um Kind of the opposite way, bringing in someone who's been around forever as opposed to John DeFilippo. An abstract way of doing this. Because this doesn't happen in the NFL very often. Outside of that Kansas City example I gave you, 
you know, it's always one person taking the fall. It's one person making the decisions. One person who says it's my offense. You know, maybe the collaborative effort is the way to go here. Mike Zimmer says he wants to be more balanced. Well, maybe that starts with your staff. And that starts with blending philosophies and, and, and trying to create this thing where it's not all focused. You know, you don't have one person who says, hey, I want to pass the ball 69% of the plays, like which happened to the Vikings that dropped back. That was the fourth most in the NFL last year. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe blending it. Maybe Stefanski really wanted to pass the ball and Gary Kubiak wants to run it. And then you kind of meet in the middle there. I think that there's going to be a healthy discourse uh, between the two of them, at least in terms of ideas. But now when you add in wins and losses and if the season starts to take a turn, then the finger pointing could has the potential to start. See, I think they ran the uh, they ran the ball so little last year because they were down a lot. They got, yeah, of course. They, they did they averaged about the same yards per carry as 2017 and in 2017 they were winning a lot. They got ahead by football. passing. People yeah, they got ahead by that. passing for the most part and then they ran the ball when they were winning. I mean, this is kind of a thing that happens all the time it's like oh this team didn't run for many yards that was the problem like uh no it was they were down 22 to 6 going into the fourth quarter of chicago or they were down two scores against new orleans so you're taking whole quarters of games where you're trying to come back and you're throwing literally every single time and they also had such an ineffective offensive line that was part of it too but it's just i think it's been a little bit uh, overstated maybe about what John Filippo did last year and not running the ball because oftentimes the quarterback put him in a position to not be able to run the ball. And then Delvin Cook's injury played into that too. And uh, I imagine that they would have preferred to have him in and give him the ball. But um, now if I'm Kevin Stefanski, I agree with you for him towing the company line and saying exactly what he's supposed to say. But I mean, how you to, to back up here a second. You don't survive three different staffs by right. not having right. the... And I'm not saying he's a company man, but you are reciting the company line. Sure. Um, you don't You don't stay. You're the only... He's literally... Him and Drew Petzing are the only people who have stayed this entire time through Brad Childress, through Leslie Frazier, and now through Mike Zimmer. If you let your ego get in the way, then yeah, you're probably not going to stick around for very long, right? Which was in part, I think, a John D. Filippo issue also. But with Stefanski, though, I mean, let's let's say private moments here he's uh at dinner with his wife celebrating an anniversary and they're talking about his job so honey how's your uh how's the job going i think he's saying what 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 do i gotta do to get a little respect for mike zimmer because he's under Shermer as the quarterback coach i think everybody thought they're going to give the job to kevin stefanski i know i did mike zimmer wanted to didn't he say that because yeah it's sort of typical for him to go back and be like, oh, I th- that's what I wanted to do. But it was someone else's fault they hired John Filippo. Well, Rick did um, hire Filippo. I know, but that's typical Zimmer of, of being like, well, you know, it was probably someone else. Um, <laughs> but, but if she says, uh, his Kevin Stefanski's wife says to him, okay, what do you, what do you think about this Kubiak thing? My, I would guess that his answer, his honest answer over dinner, not in front of a podium, would be, I, I don't know what I got to do here because under Shermer, I'm the quarterback's coach that helps get so much out of Case Keenum. I'm the only guy who gets along with Kirk Cousins. I have been in, I don't know how many offenses. I've been around here for I don't know how long. I uh, have, what is he? Did he go to like Brown University or something? Penn. Penn, Penn, right. I'm an Ivy League like, grad. I'm, I'm, an I'm Ivy the League smartest grad. person on staff. 
I drive a Kia. Like, I don't know, whatever the <laughs> Will Ferrell thing was. I sell expensive Kias, I, whatever it was. But it's just like, what What do I got to do here, Zimmer, for you not to bring in a babysitter for me? What? That would be my, if I was Kevin Stefanski, I'd be like, hey, I'm an offensive coordinator, and it's the NFL, and you don't get any better than that. But I got head coaching interviews. Exactly. And, and that, you can't even leave me alone? You got to give me a chaperone? And the, and the babysitter thing is you bring up does kind of feel like that at some points. And we'll see how much that plays out if things start going wrong. Right. If they start having to go away from what was what they're doing in the early part of the season, if it's not working, then maybe that's Gary saying, okay, Kevin, let's let's think of it this way. Like, I mean, it does kind of have that emasculating feel to it. Maybe I'm crazy by saying that, but it definitely has a little bit of that sense. And, and it could be wrong. I mean, none of us are in those meeting rooms. None of us know. Truly, truly what goes on behind closed doors and how Kevin teaches and if Gary's interjecting or if it's, uh, you know, co byline type effort, um, we'll never know. But the thing is, Kevin Stefanski, at least publicly facing us, is all in on it. He, he seems to have really bought into the Gary Kubiak philosophy. And, you know, we talk about play action in the outside zone game. Um, that's all reflective of what Gary ran for so many years as an offensive coordinator and a head coach. I mean, you look back at the draft selections, the draft, the four, first four picks are Gary Kubiak. Like look at the two, look at the two offensive linemen they have guys who ran outside zone in college, versatile zone fit, athletic linemen. And then you have a running back who's Latavius Murray part two, or so they think. And you have Irv Smith, all four of those go in on offense and I'd be hard-pressed to believe that Gary Kubiak didn't have his fingerprints all over that draft. Let's talk about, when we come back, some of the um, things that were said today about the offense. Because my impression of minicamp for the offense, not so great. Not so great. Not so great. So let's uh, discuss what that means and what uh, we think is the starting point for some of the most intriguing positions on the Minnesota Vikings. Football talk, two to four. Courtney and I, after this week, both going on vacation, so it's great. You're, um, I'm going to Europe. Going, I didn't know if you want me to say on the air that you're going to Europe. But Wait, so you think gonna, people are going like, to come I, with me? I don't know. Like, come follow just, me? Your I'll be in London if anybody wants to join. Anyone wants to stop by, any of our <laughs> London listeners via podcast? <laughs> anyway, so you're, you're going on vacation, me too, so I kind of want to like, all right, let's set the stage, get everything Let's get it all today. out on the table right. for right now. All right. We'll be back here on Purple Daily. Football fans, it's Mackie here for Federated Insurance. You might not know this about me, but I've been a business owner a couple different times in my life. I can relate to the roller coaster ride, the never-ending sea of problems to solve, the exhilaration of those incremental wins. If you're a business owner, I recommend getting to know Federated, which has over a century of experience in protecting businesses and making them as successful as they can be. You want a company like Federated standing behind your business. Visit FederatedInsurance.com to find your local representative. Federated Mutual Insurance Company. It's our business to protect yours. Yeah, well, some of the things, some of the things they're doing are very hard on us, which is great for us defensively. But, but yeah, we are a little bit ahead of them. Um, and, and you know, some of the terminology is new for the offense, and where it's not really new much for us on defense. I, I guess when I, when I say that, you know, like they might give us some formation that we haven't seen, and our guys can adjust to it just because they've. They've seen it and done it before, maybe not this spring, but they've seen it and done it before. So, um, I mean, that's kind of what I mean. You know, they don't fool us much by formations, whereas, um, you know, maybe if we were newer, um, we'd have a hard, harder time lining up to them. 
All right, we are back here on Purple Daily. Matthew Collar along with ESPN's Courtney Cronin for the next hour and a half football talk. If you are curious, the Minnesota Twins just got a, another hit from Jorge Polanco, and they have the bases loaded, no outs, and are up 3-1. to one. A beautiful day and should be an awesome weekend at uh, uh, Target Field. I mean, just the weather's starting to turn around, and this is great uh, the way they're they're playing today. It's a tie game for a while. They've gotten a few big hits now. Uh, we'll keep you updated on that as the game goes along. So we were talking about the dynamics of the offense and Gary Kubiak's role since he talked to the media for the first time since they started doing stuff on the practice field. And uh, my observation for the offense uh, over the three days of minicamp was, yeah, that defense sure is ahead of the offense. And that is the cliche that comes up every single year for almost every single team. Yeah, defense ahead of the offense. But... um they're Way really, ahead. really yes. far the, ahead of the offense. It was a struggle. Well, to be fair, and I asked Mike Zimmer about this earlier, he's been in this position for, I don't know, the last four years, ever since Norv's last season as offensive coordinator. He's had a new OC try to make their stamp on uh, the Vikings offense You know, since the 2016 season. You've had a new offensive coordinator. You have turnover every single year. And in that span, too, you've had new quarterbacks. So, of course, the defense, which has been together since Zimmer got here in 2014 and has had very little drop-off in terms of personnel. I mean, the coaching personnel has been the same. But uh, in terms of you have the same guys running the same scheme that they have run for the last five years. And your offense is just getting installed. Like, you're still in the initial phases of the install process here, which, you know, you're going to be installing like the 900th play in about six, seven weeks. Like there's, there's a lot going on there and it's hard. I think Gary Kubiak said it best. Um, you know, when, when you go against a defense this good and you're still kind of in the baby step, baby, you know, infancy stages of what you're doing here. Um, it makes it really tough because this defense is, I mean, it does make you better. And he said, I think that's just real. They are way ahead. They've been running the scheme for a long time and doing it really, really good. What I told Kevin and I told our players is it gives us a chance to be really good because we go against good people every day. So I remember John Filippo was saying something very similar last year about the privilege uh, it is to go against the number one defense in the NFL every single day in practice. In theory, yes. But when you're trying to get something installed and trying to get guys to learn the offense and you're trying to move quickly and do things at a you know an up-tempo pace, it probably sets you back a little bit because you don't really have the learning curve, uh, the time to master the learning curve, rather, that you would if you were, you know, somewhere else, honestly. I mean, I think that this is Zimmer's defenses dominate. Don't tell me there isn't a message being sent out there uh, with the way that things have gone in these practices where not saying that, um, you know, I think I think the fairest thing to say is that the offense knows they've got a ton of work to do because you you are going against a very good defense. But if Zimmer wanted to let off the gas with that a little bit, I'm sure he could. I'm sure he could. I mean, it almost felt like at times um, you just don't know how true it is, but it did feel like at times like they knew the play was coming before it did. Um, the, there was an interception today by Ben Gideon, the rookie DBs yesterday had, I think total of three interceptions. Um, that's not just being a really, really good defense. That might be being tipped off of, Hey, this is what they're going to run. Here's how we defend that. And I, and I agree with you that I'm not sure the whole thing about what is it like iron sharpens iron or something, something like that. I'm not sure that that's entirely true when it's, 
you can't actually execute anything that, because that's the they're problem. so much better than you. Yeah, and that's it's almost like an unfair advantage. Like Daniel Hunter today going up against Brandon Dillon and uh, Cole Hikatini. Like they were being you know brought in to chip him. Uh, you know, just they had no pads on. But in a game, if yeah, but also the, nope. Yeah, absolutely <laughs> not. Um, and I mean, I get it. They're down tight ends right now. They have like no depth because it's a problem. But uh, that's also, you know, it's such an unfair advantage. It, there were times over the last two days where I felt like the Vikings defense was so much better in practice that it was like a little kid playing basketball with his dad and his dad blocks him every time. Well, it's like, like you okay, dunking on, it's yeah. like you, uh, what was it? The three point shoot out you with Dalvin. That's right. Yep. You were draining shots and Dalvin was just trash just had to talking. Stand there and watch. Um, but you know, that's, I don't know if it's actually really helping that much to have Zimmer's defense be as dominant as it is. And it feels a lot like not much has changed from where we were last year of some frustration for Kirk Cousins. I was reminded today by our friend Dane about um, Kirk Cousins getting frustrated last year throwing the ball into the road. Well, they've, <laughs> they've got the field facing the other way now, so you can't throw it to the road. But there were throwaways. There were angry timeouts. There were things like that. Yeah, where like This week, too. Okay, you know, it just and uh, even I think it was Kubiak or maybe Stefanski referenced Cousins having to put younger players in the right places yeah. and things like that. But that's the reality of this offense is – Sure, Diggs and Thielen are going to be in the right spot, and Rudolph's going to be in the right spot. It's C.J. Ham and Delvin Cook, but anything beyond those guys, you have a lot of young players. Yeah, you really do, and especially today, Kirk seemed a little frustrated with some of the rookie receivers or the younger receivers um, having like yell out kind of where they needed to go. And he did say yesterday that this whole next level narrative of him being able to rise to a level that he's not just a 500 quarterback that he can actually win playoff games wins and losses are what he's going to be judged by ultimately. But for him personally, it's knowing the offense and being able to communicate that to his other, to his teammates, because at that point, that's what falls onto you as the quarterback. You need to be able to make sure you have to make sure all 10 other guys are lined up in their spots and know what they have to do. Know how to, I mean, you can't execute the assignment for them, but you damn sure better know how how they are supposed to do their job. So if they don't know, you can relay that to them. What if Kirk went like heel turn this year instead of trying to present himself publicly as the guy who's being a leader and teaching his teammates and coaching up his teammates? If he went like full Brady, I'm in charge here and bleep you if you don't do your job. I mean, it's not going to happen. He's going to try to present himself in a different way than that, but it would be would be kind of a funny change for him. And I wonder if it would even be more effective if he came across as just, I'm in charge and you have to do exactly what I say. And if you don't, then I'm just going to yell at you and embarrass you or something. Like, I mean, kind of what happened I, with Adam Thielen last year. Yeah. But if he, he would lose the locker if, room if, if that he happens. embraced that, maybe, maybe he would. You That's think he'd get question. respect for just being a hard ass, essentially? Maybe. If he, I'm saying, if he's embraced. I'm paid $84 million and you're not, and I'm in charge here and you're not. nobody is allowed to say anything to me. I'll tell you exactly where you're supposed to be. And even if I'm wrong, I'm still right. That is the attitude of a lot of quarterbacks in the NFL. Oh, sure. We but can, I don't think he could carry that over to his off field personality. I don't think that's him off the field. It, yeah. It, no, it's not. And it's so, I, and not. I think that guys might, that when we talk about phony, remember Anthony Barr, like 
And all the comments from last year is like, yeah, I thought he was phony when he got here. And then I realized uh, he wasn't. They're trying to walk that back. But that, was, that would that be was phony, something. I think, because that's not Kirk. That's not who he is as a leader. That's like His leadership style, he mentioned yesterday, he's not trying to be a vocal leader anymore. Like He had to, he wanted to make sure that when he got in here, he was vocal enough so it didn't take too long. And it's like, oh, now you want to talk? Week six? Um, I think he's just not comfortable being the rah, rah, let's get you in the huddle and scream and everything else like he knows his leadership style uh is always under the microscope and the way the the direction he wants to take that is let me be a better teacher and i think that that's fair see i think it's fair too i just wonder sort of in my head like how would that play out if he decided to not off the field because he's uh as far as i know very solid guy off the field but if he went like roethlisberger on the field just like, I'm in charge. Bleep, you guys. I don't care if I don't have a ring. I got a lot more money, and they'll get rid of you before they get rid of me. So you got to do exactly what I say, and if you don't, then I'll find somebody else who does. I'm. It's clear to me still, from what he said yesterday, that there's this internal battle of how do I do this with Kirk Cousins. It seems that he desperately wants to be the teacher, the leader, to coach guys up who are younger, to help people along, to make everybody better around him. That's what we always talk about with the great quarterbacks, is that they raise the level of play of everyone around him, and Kirk Cousins has not been someone we ever discuss as doing that before. And from his comments of, well, I've got to adjust how I did this, and I've got to focus on my leadership or focus on this and that, it doesn't sound like a guy who you're like, Okay, everybody knows who's in charge of this. It's more of, well, I'm still sort of questioning myself a little bit. And it was just a little thought experiment that sort of popped into my head of like, I wonder if he just decided, made a conscious decision, even though this isn't really me, this is who I'm going to be because they ain't cutting me. So I'm going to try this anyway, because what I did last year didn't work. Well, do you think it would work if, if, even if the offense falters this year again? Like, I don't know. That would stick, I would think would wear out very quickly. I think that you can do it if you're winning, but if you're trying to be the the brains of the operation, essentially say it's my way or the highway, like get in or get lost, uh, and you're losing games, especially when that pressure's on you because you might fumble yeah. the game away or you might, you know, not be able to lead a two minute drive successfully. Anything. Um I don't think that would pan out very well. I think it'd be a bad look for him. I guess I was thinking of the number of quarterbacks who have the reputation for being kind of a cocky jerk at times. Sure. And let's go through them. I mean, Brady for sure, but he's got all the rings. Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers for sure. How about Baker Mayfield? I mean, people buy into him for the most part. He's got that. I think he's got swagger, though. That's a different type of thing. It is. It is. But, but, it, but he, is, he can be a competitive, a competitive yep. uh, spitfire. And Roethlisberger for sure does. I would say there's some extent Carson Wentz a little bit of being like, I'm the franchise guy. Uh, He was criticized for that, but you'll kind of take it. Um, Yeah, Luck is definitely not this way. Matt Ryan is not this way. Those are kind of milk those guys. How about Cam Newton for sure is this way? Like, I'm the franchise and whatever else. I guess my, my point just being that there are many different ways to do it, but the way not to do it is to be wishy-washy on how you're going to do it. Like yeah. you got to lead one way or another. And when you come out in the press conference and say, yeah, well, I'm still thinking about like uh, how I'm going to lead these guys. And I know I have to lead them. And I'm paraphrasing. That's not exactly what he said, but where it comes across as, well, I've got to figure out a way to improve how I bring everyone along. And he's right about that, especially with the new offense. I just wonder if there's a, a little bit of 
um, that attitude that kind of gets held back with him that maybe if he embraced and just went like, yeah, this is me. I'm actually a big cocky jerk, and that's why they paid me so much money and follow me or don't. For camp, getting them through camp and getting them to learn the offense, there might have to be some of that with with everybody learning the new offense, yeah, it's, it's pressuring people to improve. Yeah, because it's what tough we saw, love to make sure to light yeah. a fire under somebody. Essentially, what we because, saw was not good enough for this. No, I think what the biggest takeaway from this offense, like throughout the three days of minicamp that we had in the OTAs, is just it feels like they do take steps forward, but then they take steps back. Like the formations are there. Like they they are employing bigger formations, heavier formations. They want to use tight ends. Like we know what the philosophy probably is going to be and how it's going to play out, but it's the execution. And I know that it's early. I know this is kind of the time when everybody's running around in shorts that uh, you don't have to worry about it as much. But I still think that that worry with this team specifically is never going away simply because of how last season ended. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Let's take a quick break and we'll come back. And we'll talk about some of the most intriguing positions and kind of what we learned through minicamp, 3 o'clock, hot routes. And here's what I want you to do. My voice is weak at the end of the, I don't know why. It's just at the end of the of week. It's just, yeah, a little bit. Uh, I want you to call out the hot routes okay. for today. Yeah. Man, it's, the biggest, get... it's a big assignment. Like, you're my Stefanski and I'm Kubiak. Are you going to, like, critique me on them? Of are course. we Are we going to, like, meet after after we're <laughs> off air to, like, go over the hot routes? <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to make sure that you taught everyone else the hot routes the right way, and then uh, then we'll go from there. All right, we'll, okay. t- we'll take a quick break. Uh, we'll be right back. We'll go through some positions, what we learned in minicamp. When we return, you are listening to Purple Daily. I think it's good. Um, you know, I think Cook has had a really, really good spring. Gary and I were talking about him this morning. Uh, you know, he looks really, really good, uh, especially in the things we're trying to do in the running game. Um, you know, and and Boone and Rock Thomas and uh, Madison, you know, they're all they're all still learning, so they they got some work to do. But I think CJ Ham's had a nice spring. Running backs, they're fun to talk about. CJ Ham's had a nice CJ spring. CJ Ham, yes. Talking about the fullback in the boots. That's my favorite part of the spring when we get to see like some good like play action with the fullback. Lots get to of see what's legs. gonna get to see what's gonna happen this fall. Man, good times. Purple Daily, Courtney Cronin, Matthew Collar. <laughs> Until 4 o'clock, Judd Zilgad joins us in about 10 minutes for Hot Routes, the best best segment of the show. But uh, before we get to that, I think it's important that, yes, it's early. Speculation, observations are just that until stuff actually matters in August when position battles heat up. But there were several that we were keeping our eye on this spring. Number three receiver being one of them. Backup quarterback being one of them. um, I guess backup linebacker is probably one of them. It's not as intriguing as in previous years, but there is a lot here um, just based on what happened last year. Trying to find somebody that could complement Dalvin Cook and maybe what that does to Dalvin's workload. I think that was what Mike Zimmer was getting at. Just He wants to be more balanced. He certainly wants to run the ball, but to be more balanced, you need a good stable. To you, what, what's the biggest position battle, I guess, you as we wrap up minicamp? What are you looking at? I mean, the obvious one is wide receiver. Sure. And but is it, to, but is is the number three receiver an actual receiver? So I think enough to matter in the conversation, but not as much as maybe we thought, based on Gary Kubiak's history. Uh, when we get to third and seven, that's where it's, we're going to find it out because Irv Smith might be an option there, and he might not if he doesn't catch on very well. 
Last year, that was the big issue. Third and seven, third and eight. Those are going to happen. And it was double-team Thielen, double-team Diggs. Can't throw to them every single time. Um, if you're third and long, it's hard to hit Kyle Rudolph unless you use some sort of misdirection, but it's hard to use misdirection when you get third and long. I and mean, this was just a big issue for them last year, so who's going to step up? And today, Gary Kubiak gave a little shout-out to Chad Beebe, called him Beebs. You were concerned. You were confused. You're like, is that Beebs? Or no, it's our, our friend Chad Graff. Yeah, he was confused. Yeah, I, mean, I, I picked up on Beebs right away. But of I was course. Like, I was like, are we, are we calling him Beebs? I mean, Are we really calling him Beebs? I mean, it's a very easy nickname. I mean, this comes from the guy named Coobs. Yeah, I mean, you know what's funny? It's like you guys co- need to work on this. Well, the coaches love to. If you have, if like for receivers, I think it's you add a Y to their name, like Digsy. Oh, sure, yeah. Hockey players are like that. Um, Ryan Miller was Millsy. It was like, oh, great. Treddy. Cool. I remember Flip would no, call Yeah, no one D- called him yes, Treddy. Yes, Filippo called him Treddy last oh, year. That's awesome. Um, is Treddy, um, is he making it even, you think? You I know, think he will. I don't think he will. You, you don't think what? so? What? You think he will? I think he will. Why? Because I think the because rest of the rest, the rest of, of, it's of the so group bad. is bad. Well, yeah. I, I, well, okay, that's so. why I put some pause on it. I mean, Dylan Mitchell and Ola B.C. Johnson, the two draft picks they had at, re- at the receiver position, not great. Um, I think that there was some expectation that they could be those vertical stretch the field threats that are you know just a one-trick pony and maybe fill the Aldrich Robinson role, but not a great spring for either of them. Uh, today... It was, uh, what was his name, Dylan? Dalton. You're talking about Davis? Davis, yeah. I mean, see, there's so many dudes yeah, on this depth chart right now. there's some guy on the third right team now. who made two um, good catches. Like, yeah, I don't know one what of to a, make of and that. one of them was from a tip pass. But that's what I try to caution people on as we you know, think about the number three receiver. It's going to take a while because this offense doesn't have the chemistry it needs yet to where you're incorporating the number three receiver. Kirk's kind of relying on Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs because he knows them, because he has chemistry with them. When you're yelling at young receivers to get in their spots because they don't know where the heck they're supposed to go, probably shows you that you know the depth that you have at that position isn't great. Jordan Taylor was hurt this spring, or it hurt all of minicamp. I don't know yeah. what he did. Uh, but during OTAs, he got some, when Diggs was working out away from the Twin Cities, he got some good opportunity with the first team. Chad Beebe got some good opportunity. I think Jeff Baddett even got in there a little bit, but now he's hurt, hurt, which Um, is just, I mean, that's the the concern with Chad Beebe too, but let's assume that he's healthy and we play this out. Diggs Thielen too, then Beebe, then what? I mean, Dylan Mitchell, maybe, but not based on anything he really did. They were high on Ola BC Johnson coming out of mini camp and other things, but he hasn't done well. And now it's like, I'll be EC seeing you now. How did I do this? I'll be, I'll be seeing you. I'll be seeing you in the XFL. How about that? I'll be, I'll be see, I'll be seeing you. Okay. Um, Chad Beebe, though, (laughs) I think that he is probably the biggest lock of anyone for that number three job. But here's the thing, and I asked Gary Kubiak about this today. I'll read you the quote. Um, we, you brought up, you found that article from Mile High Report. So yeah. I found it and I read it and I loved it. And I started chaining Gary. Um, <laughs> the number three pass catcher in his offenses has historically been a tight end. Yeah. That could very easily happen here. And you look at what happened on Tuesday, them keeping Kyle Rudolph, signing him to the long, you know, four year extension. Um, it makes more sense now, not knowing, you know, how good Irv Smith has the potential to be of why they kept a guy like Kyle Rudolph to yep. know that at that position, he's the most reliable bet that you have. And I wouldn't put it past uh, Kubiak, Stefanski, however they're deciding to write this offense, 
that that's the way that you go. That maybe you have realized, hey, Chad Beebe's good on third down. You know, he's good in the slot. He has a very limited role, but we like him for what he is. And then also realizing, hey, the tight end is a good position in this offense. It works in this offense. We can go heavier packages. We can create mismatches. We can, you know, take advantage of single high defenses with 12 personnel. Let's make Kyle Rudolph or Irv Smith the number three receiver. I think it could go either way. I just don't think they have a lot of depth, or at least like attractive depth that's, that's uh, at the concern. wide receiver position to get anywhere near where we're saying, hey, this guy's in contention, this guy's in contention. I think Chad has probably been the standout of the receivers not named Diggs and Thielen just because he's been the most consistent because he hasn't been hurt. Here's a question for you because you asked about the positions, um, mm-hmm. you know, which stick out to me. Can you give me a position that has quality depth on this roster. Defensive line. Does it? I think so. Quality. I mean, we yeah, don't we th- don't know what Armin Watts is. We well, don't know what Jalen Holmes is. We don't know what Jaleel Johnson is. But we do know that they are high on Hercules Mata'afa, which they need speed at that position. I'm not saying it's quality. They have the numbers game helps them there though. Thinking about how many they have. So let's go through the starting four. So you've got Daniel Hunter Shamar Stefan at nose ta- at uh, three technique, Linville Joseph, and then you have Everson Griffin. You know, you've got a lot of depth at those defensive end spots between Stephen Weatherly. Um, if they keep Deshaun Bauer around, I don't know. I don't think so. I, I mean, he's been hurt. He hasn't really had much of, he hasn't, I don't know, it was a foot injury that's from last year. Um, I don't know if he's a lock to make the roster, but they're very high on Afadio a Denebo. Even though he hasn't done anything, this it means they cut him last guy. year. So, but they I mean, brought him back. But but this is my point, though. Is like you can make a case of hey, Jaleel Johnson or Mataafa or uh, Odenabo that these guys will do something, maybe. But in terms of being sure, I mean, last year at that position, you had Tom Johnson, proven very good pass rusher, and Sheldon Richardson, proven one of the best players at that position. You go from that to. Who's even behind Shamar Stefan? And I'm not sure Shamar Stefan's even a good player. I think it'll be Jalen Holmes. I think just having, like, and then Jaleel, Jaleel's ceiling is probably at a rotational three technique and nose tackle. Uh, that's what we've seen from him the last few years. But, you know, we knew this was going to happen. Mm-hmm. We knew this was going to happen when they decided that with the defensive line, the efforts they were going to use in free agency were going to be to retain Everson Griffin. We knew that they were going to not have as good of depth as they had in the years past, but I do think the numbers game helps them there. I think third and long, they should be thinking about three-man fronts or using Stephen Weatherly and Everson Griffin on the field at the same time. You should absolutely consider mixing up fronts in that. You need to keep fresh legs. You need to be, especially with a guy like Linville Joseph, too. Yeah. I mean, he's going to go and need to get his oxygen and like get I mean, off the field like on that's that the down. point, though. I mean, if it, Linville has to miss a couple games, Shamar Stefan moves over and then. Don't rule knows? Tom Johnson not coming back. That's it feels true. like it's Tom inevitable. Always comes like, back. He's, he misses me and comes back. Yes. And I, 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 I think that's accurate. So, all right. Hot routes are coming up. We just wanted to get the segment in. Uh, we'll probably circle back to this because I need. I know Judd's got some takes on the backup quarterback competition with his uh, son, Kyle Sloter. So uh, once we come back, Judd joins us. It's Hot Routes. You're listening to Purple Daily on Score North. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar or pie made with fresh Cosmic Crisp apples. There are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays, and Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. 
Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Bakers, fresh for everyone.